What is crack and Hardwood Knox listeners? I am Dan Valley coming at you without my fantabulous co-host Adam Frommel. I am, however, super pleased to be joined by the one and only Ty Windish. He is a co-host of the Eurostep podcast, which can be found on the Eurostep podcast network. Follow them on Twitter at Eurostep podcast. That's at G-Y-R-O step podcast. Follow Ty on Twitter at Ty Windish. That's at T-I-W-I-N-D-I-S-C-H. They do a great job covering the Bucks. So you might've guessed we're going to be talking a lot of Bucks Celtics because I've decided that is my favorite second round series. There was I was going through with, you know, Mavs or or Phoenix and then like Philly and uh, Philly came in there with Miami for a little bit. But it's pretty decidedly Bucks Celtics because that's the one that leaves me emotional after every single game, wanting to change everything that I initially thought. So we go deep into the series, what to expect with game six and beyond. Uh, before we get started, though, just uh, my usual reminder to continue rating, reviewing and subscribing to us wherever you get your podcasts. Even if you don't use iTunes or Spotify, it helps us out a bunch if you just head over there and have the ability to to throw us ratings and reviews, juice that algorithm. Follow us on on the socials, links to which are in the podcast description, at Hardwood Knox on Twitter and TikTok, at Hardwood underscore Knox on Instagram. Follow our YouTube channel, uh, youtube.com, search Hardwood Knox. We will come up. All our content gets clipped and posted onto there as well. And join our Discord, the link to which is also in the description. We have some fun in there still. So come by. Let's have some discussions. I am there. Um, try to be there during games. I'll try and be there more. It's been a little quiet in there lately. But we have a bunch of people in there, a lot of good people. So head over to our Discord. If you've done all that, consider recommending us to a friend, family member, acquaintance, coworker, random person on the internet who likes basketball. Tell them we are about as modestly insufferable as it gets for national media coverage. I, is there a stronger endorsement than that? I have no idea. With all that out of the way, though, let's dive headfirst into some Bucks Celtics talk. And also, we talk about the MVP since Yo know, Ty covers Giannis and whether there should be postseason awards. So let's dive into all that with Ty Windish. Ty, welcome back to the Hardwood Knox podcast. I normally only pester you once a year for a Bucks look ahead, but how could I not pester you uh, given what's happening with Bucks Celtics in the, the semifinals? Before we dig into all things that have been this epically ridiculous series between these two teams first and foremost how are you i'm doing well um as i said we do uh we do these playback live streams so it's kind of like twitch like we're on the screen talking about the game as i said at some point during game five which we were live for time to see how my happiness over the next 48 hours is going to be in that fourth quarter and it's good it's good the pucks won um you know it's not always like that every game or even every playoff game but certainly one of that magnitude uh it, it was gonna affect the mood a little bit and you wake up feeling a lot better when the bucks Giannis, drew bobby pat i mean you can name a lot of guys who i think were really great in that game in their own ways but uh, all that to say i'm doing well uh thank you dan for having me on the hardwood knox podcast i'm honored Oh, please. We love having you around these parts. I guess, you know, we're coming off of just what was a wild game five, that fourth quarter, just like there are so many just mind melting things that happened between Drew's holidays defense. I mentioned to you before we started, I find it incredible that even with the Bucks' defensive adjustments, the Celtics took zero three pointers during the quarter. Uh, what have you just made of this series, though, in general through the through the first five games? Yeah, I think honestly, this the story of this series has been like who can figure out a way to score because I think it's two great defenses, and we've had conversations on on the pod like, are the Celtics a great team or a very good team? I think the conclusion we've came to 
is they are a great defense, but a very good team because of their limitations on the other end. And I think the Bucks deal with a lot of the same limitations, especially without Chris Middleton. So this series to me, and the scores have gone up as we've gone farther. I think some of that is these guys are just getting tired of playing this level of defense and trying to contain Giannis on one end, Tatum on the other, and all the other guys as well. But I think really it's, you know, who can who can squeeze out some points? So for the Bucks, that was taking advantage of turnovers big time in, in game five and knocking down some threes. Two guys who, you know, aren't known as great knockdown shooters, but have been unseasonably bad in the playoffs. And Giannis and Drew both hit threes late. Pat Connaughton continues to pour them in. Wesley Matthews is hitting threes. Like those are the differences. I mean, you know, Tatum outside of the two games where he was really very limited has scored like, you know, high 20s, 30s, something like that. Giannis now is doing the same. Seems like he has kind of just worn down Al Horford to an extent, although Horford's still doing a good job. He's figuring out the Celtics defense as we go. But it's like who can get points around their star or stars? Jalen Brown's been quite good too. And the Bucks with some timely shooting and some uh, transition, they figured it out and, and stole the win because of it. Yeah, what's interesting is that Everything Boston did well through the first three quarters or whatever it was completely just flipped in the fourth quarter. Milwaukee beat them in transition. They scored most of their points off turnovers in the fourth quarters. Uh, they got seven of their offensive, uh, seven of their 17 offensive rebounds in that fourth quarter. It was just like, it, it was like, it was an epic collapse because like seldom do you see like such a comprehensive implosion. It was just that every single level of the game. And I do think you need to credit Milwaukee who played fantastic defense. I think Wes Matthews and Pat Connaughton have been like two of just the undersung heroes in this series. I mean, Wes Matthews too, just like playing all these minutes at the age of 80 or whatever he is at this point. Um, so that's been, that's just been interesting to watch. I wonder if, you know, you mentioned Giannis sort of figuring out Al Horford and I'm kind of with you. The Bucks offense can still be frustrating at points where it's, they set a ball screen for Giannis, but then there's not really anything going on after the ball screen. He's just at the top of the key and he's going after who's ever in front of him. He's been able to get by uh, Al Horford. And then, you know, your co-host, I think it was uh, Rowan mentioned, like he's been using his angles a lot better. And I totally agree. I'm wondering how much it has to do with Robert Williams, the third, not being in the series anymore to be behind those plays. Giannis through the first two games only took 10 shots when Al Horford was on the court and he was five of 10, like, but only 10 shots. And a lot of those minutes are coming with time Lord. Um, he has taken many more shots since time Lord went down and he's shooting like 60% from two in those things. And so do you think that I I'm with you in the sense that I Milwaukee and Boston face some of the same offensive struggles. And I don't think we can say, Oh, the Bucks offense has figured it out, but it feels like Giannis might've figured out how to attack the Celtics, at least as they're currently constituted without Robert Williams, the third there. Yeah, I think, and I think he kind of does this to everyone. I think that was what changed last postseason is he figured out something. He figured out more counters and, you know, his will has always been unrelenting, but I think he's figured out a couple more, added a couple tricks to the apparently small bag um, to, to get by these defenses. But I do think Robert Williams would change things. I don't know if Boston would close with him because I think the issue there for the Celtics, while I do agree, I think, you know, I've seen this narrative that it's good for Boston and he's not playing. That's stupid. He's a good player. They don't have a ton of good players, although their bench was excellent. They somehow won Daniel Tysman as convincingly, which drove us crazy watching the game. But Robert Williams would certainly help Boston. But I do think what what is good for the Bucks about his minutes is those are very comfortable Brooke Lopez minutes. Since he's gone out, Lopez has not had a mu- as much of an impact on either direction because 
essentially Boston is always five out. I mean, even Tice is what made a three and, and can shoot threes to an extent. Whereas Robert Williams, that jumper, the mid-range jumper for him has looked quite good this series. And it's probably like three attempts. I, I'm, I'm a sicko because I buy into stuff like that. But he's made a couple that I was like, oh, I didn't know, didn't know he could do that. But Lopez is a lot more comfortable hanging with him. So I think if he is, if he does go game six and, and plays a significant amount, I would expect it to be another lower scoring game. I think that's some of the reason the scoring has upticked over these last two, in addition to like defenders just getting tired, is you know, Lesbrook Lopez, he played 20 minutes last night. They lost his minutes by a couple points. He hasn't been as effective on either end. I think if Time was out there for 25 minutes, you can probably pencil in Brooke Lopez for those 25 minutes. And then both teams paint becomes a nightmare again. Like there's some similarities with how they these two teams can function defensively, I think. And it, it'll be interesting. But yeah, I think it'll be harder for Giannis. And then maybe even more importance on role players hitting threes. Thankfully, Pat Connaughton has stepped up in a big way when guys like Grayson Allen really have not. And just, again, it'll become like who can force more turnovers, who can get going in transition to beat these half-court defenses because they're both very thorny with those two centers down low. What do you make of – there was the report, and you guys talked about this on the Eurostep, uh, that Chris Middleton could return for a game six or a game seven. Are you, do you buy into that? And two, would you even be in favor of it? And I think it's easy to be in favor of it because I picked, I guess this is me underestimating the Bucs, or maybe it's me overestimating how important Chris Middleton is to them. I thought the Celtics were going to win this series. I, I believe that Chris Middleton was that important to the Bucs' half-court offense. And I still think he is. I just underestimated well, shit, Giannis exists and like his will be done sometimes. Like that's yeah. just what it feels like yeah. with him. But what do you make of that whole situation? Would you expect him to play in one of these two ga- closeout games if there's even two of them? And would you even be in favor of that given the injury that he's coming back from? Let me clarify. I think everyone probably knows, but I have no inside information. This is not reporting. Aggregators. Speculation. Aggregator. Yeah, yeah. Aggregators, yeah. call them off. This, this is a useless take for you. I would expect him to play before the series ends, which is Rohan's take. I would love to see him play in game six with the obvious caveat. If he's truly ready to play, if it's safe for him to play, um, even if, if it's safe for him to play, but he's going to be a little limited at first, you know, I would, I'd even like to see him then. I think a couple like 15, 20 minutes, again, player safety is the most important thing. They're up three, two without him. You obviously want him back. You don't want to take any game lightly in this series with how close it's been, but he would provide such a jolt. I mean, there's so many times. The funny thing about game five is it was kind of the, the just like carbon copy, but the opposite of mm-hmm. game four, where the Bucks held a lead at halftime, built a lead up in the third quarter, and then ended up just blowing it in the second half. The Celtics built their lead more in the fourth quarter, but still that reversal late, it's the same thing kind of happened to the Bucks in the Al Horford and Tatum explosion. And Marcus Smart had some big plays in there too. But I was thinking, and we talked about after that game, Man, some of those runs when like the Bucks could not score, that's when you need Chris Middleton to just say, F it, I'm just gonna shoot over a guy and, you know, drain three possessions or three jumpers and four possessions, which is what he's done so many times in that championship run to just calm everybody down, kill the kill the opposing momentum, all that stuff. They really do miss him a ton. I don't I think he is very important. They're just like grinding out every other advantage they can find. I mean, you mentioned the offensive rebounds. That's a very Bucks thing. It's new for them to do so well without Brooke Lopez on the court in that arena. And I think a lot of credit to Bobby Portis, who did not have a good shooting game, but really hustled on the boards, which has been big for him this season. Um, but yeah, I think it. I would love to see him back for game six. The, again, you just don't want to do an unsafe thing. 
But I do think the way Bud talked about his status a couple games ago, I, I think it's certainly possible we see him at least before the end of the series, if not tomorrow or so today, whenever people are listening. I like that Bud said he's going to keep the starting five a state secret from now on or whatever. They it keep was. everything a state secret. It's funny the way he did it, but that's it's so everything has been so bucks. The Chris Middleton injury update, yeah, he's doing all right. We'll let you know. That was it. That's great. Thanks for the update. Really appreciate Those it. Sports books are thrilled. Oh yeah, <laughs> they always are. I would be. It, I'm with you. Presuming he can't do any further damage or he's he's fine and can play, play him. I don't know that I would want. I would want to see him in Game Six. If he doesn't play game six and there's a game seven, I don't want to see him in that. Just because he hasn't played in so long, I do wonder if there would be something to the effect of if he doesn't hurt you, does he even really help you? Is he someone the Boston could then target on defense, depending on how he's moving, um, what his stamina is like? And you have a little bit of a margin for error now because you have the one game cushion. So if you bring him back in game six, if there is a game seven, or maybe he's just fresher for the second round, should you win? To your point, though, like even after game five, the 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 Drew Holiday minutes without Giannis, the Bucks have been slaughtered. They've been outscored by 31 points in 40 minutes. And their, their um approach probably needs to be we're throwing the kitchen sink at you when Giannis isn't on the court. And that would be Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday. And you could probably just given who else is on their team, flesh out their roster from there. Uh what have you made though of the offense when Giannis is off the court? Like is that redeemable in any sense when you looked at how drew holiday has played and how big do you think it was that drew holiday actually you know he still had he took you and i were messaging about this uh some of the drew holiday early shot clock jumpers were giving me uh heart palpitations he closed the game really strong how important do you think that might be for him offensively uh over the course of the rest of this series and, and the playoffs I think it's important for, for those closing situations, but I still think that the Bucks need to do a better job, and this mostly does come down to Drew, of getting other players involved in the non-Giannis minutes. I think there's still too much of Drew trying to do so much. And I, again, I think it's a valiant thing. I don't think it's selfishness. I think it's him trying to – it's him knowing we don't have Chris. Giannis is sitting – you know, it's me and and good players, but I am the star who's out here now. I need to carry this load, and I think it's probably better than him just completely deferring in those minutes. But there needs to be a better balance struck between I will take over and let's see what Grayson Allen can do if he's out there. And one of the things that drives me crazy is if you're going to play someone like Grayson, who the Celtics and Jalen Brown especially are clearly enjoying finding on defense over and over ad nauseum. Absolutely annihilated him in the fourth. It was almost mean what they were doing to Grace now. It, <laughs> it was like there was just no resistance there. Um, and that's just, you know, I, I don't think he's a terrible defender, but if you're an okay defender, in those moments you can function as a terrible defender. It's the issue. Um, Bucks learned this with Bryn Forbes as well, who was worse, I think, than Grayson, but still. Um, but I think they need to get Grayson involved on offense if he's going to be out there because you're not playing him for his defense. So if he's shooting, let's see, seven times over 30 minutes, only two of them threes, he did have five assists. So at least they got him, you know, they got the ball moving through him more, which is nice. But I want to see more shots for him in those minutes, more shots for Pat Connaughton, who also only shot seven times. Glad to see Bobby Portis take 14, only makes four, not an ideal game, but uh, still at least wasn't completely holding up the offense. You'd rather shoot good looks and miss than just not shoot and stand around and watch someone else shoot. So they need better ball movement. They definitely need more of those guys taking shots. At one point, I think they ran a Grayson Bobby Portis pick and roll that Portis scored on in one of his four makes. 
And it was like, let's just do that like half the time when when it's just Drew out there. I mean, that's those are two good offensive players. There's a lot of shooting threat there. Get Bobby moving. I think they need to get all the big guys moving toward the rim more, even Brooke, who I think that would help him score more in this series. But I definitely think he's still doing a little too much before crunch time. Uh, and they would be better off if they could get somebody else going. I mean, nobody besides Drew and Giannis scores more than Portis's 14. Uh, they, they need a little bit more help from these other guys still, especially as we get later and later in this series, and Drew and Giannis have done so much already. When you're looking at how they match up with the Celtics and the, the different units that Boston has run out there, uh, we don't really know as we're recording this if Robert Williams III is going to play in the next game. What do you view as sort of a tougher – like structure of Boston's unit from Milwaukee to match up with where they're going with smart Brown Tatum and white plus Horford, or when they're playing the Grant Williams and Al Horford together. And, you know, Derek white is probably on the bench in that scenario. Honestly, it probably just depends on whichever of those two is playing better. Um, It seems to me like, I think theoretically the Grant Williams one is tougher for Milwaukee because that gives you, you have more than one guy you're comfortable guarding Giannis. I think it's so it's much easier than, you know, if you do get out of whack, if you're in semi-transition or whatever, you have two options who you're fairly comfortable guarding Giannis. So there's just more chance you'll be able to get one of those guys onto him versus if you're coming up and, you know, semi-transition, everything's crazy, and Al Horford's on one side of the floor, Giannis is on the other, it gets a lot harder to then get him over there to guard him without giving up an open shot or something. So I think they're theoretically better with Grant Williams, but after his offensive explosion in game three, no, two, whatever it was, maybe it was four. Uh, no, whatever. I'm not going to keep it was discussing game two. Games. Let me double check. It's game though. two. What is time? Yeah. Everything blur- blurs together. I know. I know. Um, I, th- I do think it was game two. Since then, though, it seems like Milwaukee's adjustment for him specifically was just nothing from the corners, and they've really cut down his corner threes. And I know his splits are pretty drastic. If you look at his three-point shooting – from corners versus everywhere else. He's much more effective there. He seems less comfortable everywhere else. He's gotten some more like elbow threes uh, in his last couple of games and hasn't really even wanted to shoot them. And I know I've read a couple of reports about this from, I think like Keith Smith had one that Ime Udoka has had huge problems with him, you know, complaining to the officials and, and missing an assignment because of that. And that's happened in multiple games now, which is playing into him playing less as well. And Derek White has played well. He's he's hit shots. He was not very good early. He's been better late. So I think if you're Boston, you probably just have to go with the guy who's helping you more actively right now in a series like this. But I do think they would the Celtics would be better off if it was Grant Williams who was giving you more because that's just a much better Giannis option defensively, obviously, than, than Derek White is, as well as I think he's played on both ends over these last two games. Yeah, and they went at Jalen Brown a little bit with Giannis, too, in Game 5. And so if you remove Grant Williams from the equation, does that theoretically give you two players that you're comfortable having Giannis attack against? And so I am with you there. I think offensively, though, at this point, because of how – and it was Game 2, so we ended up being right on that – how disinvolved Grant Williams has been. Um, it would probably almost behoove them to have Derek White, who's going to give you definitely more rim pressure, um, more of a connective passer, even when he's not scoring. So – you might be losing some shooting with Grant Williams, but hey, you're not taking threes in the fourth quarter anymore anyway. So what do you need Grant Williams for? What is, and I know this depends on matchups, but so the Bucks closing the game with Giannis, Drew, um, it was Connaughton, Portis, and uh, Wes. Wes. Yeah. Is that like the ideal closing lineup for them where you don't see Brooke on the court? 
Uh, as long as Robert Williams isn't in, I, I think that probably is. The real question is the Portis spot, and I think he was really – his offense was not there in game four, and Bud just slashed his minutes. I think he played like 15 minutes because he kept passing up wide-open corner threes to like dribble in and then miss shots in the paint, and I think it drove Bud crazy, and he just lost his minutes. You know, He ends up playing 28 and a half minutes in this game, despite not – not making a lot of shots. I think he made a bigger difference on the boards and and took better shots again, even if they weren't falling for him. But I think Matthews and Condon, I think they're penned in there. Like they're not they're not coming out of games in this series late. So if if the Celtics are closing with Robert Williams, maybe you see Brooke in there. I think Bobby right now would be the favorite. And again, we'll see what what could possibly happen with Chris. I don't know if he would ever be able to close a game six. Uh, that would be tremendous. But I think the the Bucks don't like. Now, at this point in the series, Lopez out there against Horford as the five, no matter if it's Grant Williams or someone else at the four. It's just that the Celtics got too many looks from three. Obviously, Horford burned them two games in a row, got the the crazy win in game four. So I don't expect to see Brooke out there unless Robert Williams is. I would imagine Portis will be the favorite going in. If somebody like a George Hill who has not played very well uh, or even a Grayson Allen has a really good game, then maybe. But I think the Bucks trust Portis more defensively than Grayson and he gives you so much more on offense than Hill so I would imagine that he gets the nod still did you see anything in that fourth quarter of game five that you view as um translatable to the future games of the Bucks how they slow down Boston's offense or was that more of Boston kind of slowing it down themselves and then Milwaukee scoring so they're able to just get their defense set and get back quicker was there anything in particular and even looking at the entire game Al Horford had seven shots after being supernova for this entire series. Was there anything specific you noticed about how they were covering him, or is that just another, you know, the Celtics missing him on certain opportunities or not? Um, you know, it didn't feel like they were looking for him as much on, like, pick and pops as they've been throughout the, the previous four games. Yeah, I think, you know, I do think a little bit of that is as great as he looked and as much as he leaned into it game four. Maybe it was only because of the honest stare down. That's what he seemed to say. I still don't think that's Al's preferred thing to do. But I also think the Bucks were like, we're not. I, I think their game plan for most of this series has been, we are only going to let you shoot threes that we want you to shoot. And they fell, they fell, they fell apart in their losses, especially. But I do think they're working more to toggle away some of those wide open threes. I think now it's like, if you're going to shoot threes, it's going to be like off the dribble around a screen, which Tatum was two for 11 on threes. That's... He's had so many games that you just keep saying like, oh, he's not going to keep shooting like that. At some point, hopefully somebody gives the Bucks a bit of a nod for doing a hell of a job defending him. Not saying you're not, but I just keep like this podcast does a great job of watching and analyzing both sides. I just see so much of like, oh, Tatum's going to get it together soon. Like probably he will play better soon, but the Bucks are doing a tremendous job on Tatum. And they're just not giving guys like Grant Williams and in game five, Al Horford, those like really wide open, beautiful corner threes that you want. And I think that kind of coincides with Brooke Lopez playing less and being less effective when he does play because he's not dropped back as far anymore. The far, the biggest drop, I think Giannis was dropping back really far at points at times in game five. And I didn't think it was a good idea. I, I don't think he should bother doing that when he's covering Al Horford because you, are, you do tend to give him those shots. Although again, he wasn't able to capitalize in this game. But, you know, there's going to be some threes where a guy like uh, Jalen Brown will just hit a couple and right in, right in the closeout's face. You know, guys like that hit shots like that. But I do think the Bucks a little bit went away from the paint dominance to a little bit more say, you're not going to hit the, the open threes. You're going to have to beat our defenders to hit shots. 
And that's, I think, why you close with a guy like Wesley Matthews, who, although he has been good offensively overall in this series, not always going to do that, but they just trust him so much defensively. So it's like him, Giannis, Drew Holiday, you know, even if we don't have the paint locked down by Brooke like usual, because we are closing out on these threes, we trust those guys to clean up whatever they need to. And Drew showed why that was a good idea to end game five. Yeah, Wes is, I agree with you that the Bucks have done a pretty good job on Tatum. And a lot of that has been just Wesley Matthews. Yeah. Uh, I was looking, I was looking this up earlier this morning um, on possessions that Wesley Matthews registers as a defender of Jason Tatum. So not even a direct contest. Uh, the, the Celtics are averaging 0.85 points per possession. Ooh. That is for anyone at home who doesn't really, that is absolutely terrible, even for this <laughs> series. So yeah. um, that's absolutely huge for Milwaukee. So kind of wrapping up the discussion, we lead into game six, a potential game seven. What is your biggest concern for Milwaukee, um, non-Chris Middleton division, leading into the the game six and p- potential game seven? Yeah, I think it's, um, I mean, one, I do think there's a, there's a chance that we just see a Tatum explosion at some point. It kind of happened a little bit over the last two games, but, you know, is he going to go for 45 points or something? And do the Celtics get uh, another game where they outscore Milwaukee a lot from three? I think you look at game five, the Bucks end up outscoring the Celtics from game three. I don't have the number in front of me, but I imagine in, in games where the Bucks score more points from three than their opponents, they probably have a ridiculously good record because obviously Giannis is going to add another you know few dozen points that aren't threes and you know three or six or whatever that are threes. Um, but so I, I think that's probably the the biggest concern now is just the Bucks continue to play good defense, but the Celtics are just like, you know, we're just going to make shots anyway, um, which I, I do trust Milwaukee's defense to not give Boston all like streams of wide open threes anymore. Uh, I think which, that that is uh, that would you say? And sorry to interject, but like no, that's sort of a Bud doing this. Is that growth? Is that like yeah. progress for him? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, it's there's still a lot of gripes. I think we we're, uh, Grayson is still playing too much. I don't think he should have seen fourth quarter minutes. But I, I do think there's more adjustments than people give him credit for, even if he's still not, you know, Nick Nurse or anything like that um, in terms of in terms of over adjusting. And I think a lot of what Bud does really well as a coach are things that are pretty impossible to, to define, you know, the, the culture and that kind of a stuff, which I really didn't care about or didn't realize, I guess, didn't didn't think about until after they won and thought about all the stuff they went through and how many times we've seen teams go through similar things and, and not hold up as well. Um, so I think that there, it's hard to define how good of a job Bud does. But I do think in that sense that, yes, he is more flexible now, more open to changes. I think now the big test will be, you know, can Javon Carter scrape a couple minutes in here when George Please. Hill isn't accomplishing much? I love Javon Carter. And it's like, it's so good. And just like, is George Hill giving you even enough? And I get Javon Carter is tiny. Yeah. Um, but like, like even just, if you don't want Grayson Allen on the court for certain minutes, like Javon Carter is going to give you way more defensive pressure than, I mean, George Hill. Yes. But, but he's going to give you more defensive pressure than Grayson Allen. So I just, can we, can we dust off Javon Carter, please? That <laughs> would be great. I think the thing about him too, is you throw him out there for a 12 minutes or whatever, that's 12 minutes of full court pressure on whoever's bringing the ball up for the Celtics. And I do think outside of getting a steal or a backcourt or whatever, like it just, degrades your offensive usefulness if it's harder to get into your action less time on the shot clock everyone's less comfortable like that stuff matters I would certainly like to see him get some run you know I I think if George Hill does play 
put the ball in his hands a little bit more because that's his other advantage over Carter is he's you know a better, more proven on-ball creator. Mm-hmm. But the Bucks just used him as an off-ball player, and if you're going to do that, then play Javon, who shot much better from three this season. It's going to give you more defensively. I, I think Hill still struggling with like a injured vertebrae in his neck or something. He's had like, like it seems like eighty different serious injuries this yeah. season. Yeah, I mean, he wants that ring really bad. He wants to win one in Milwaukee. You've got to feel for him. But, like, Axel Tupon got a ring, George. Like, you still get one even if you're not playing every game. Like, don't – like, like let's think about your long-term health a little bit. Like, you still help the team. You still deserve it for contributions before the, the trade for Drew Holiday. Um, but, yeah, I, I would like to see Javon play. I'd like to see Wes play a little less. Uh, and, you know, if Chris comes back, that changes then, of course, how much everyone is going to play. Um, but yeah, I, I do think Bud is, has grown a little bit and, and said a little bit more of, you know, we'll go small when we have to. I think Fe- the Phoenix series, Bobby Portis was closing out games and, and they were switching more. And, and that's like, you know, they never would have done that before. Um, so it's it's nice to see the Bucks. you know, maybe they ran their heads into a wall a bit still here and there, especially offensively. But I think defensively, I'd say a little bit less so, although the shots they gave to Al in game four absolutely made me sick. So I shouldn't get too far in, in praising their adaptiveness. Uh, I'm with you, though, that it seems like it's pr- – even like some of the minutes that Bud has been playing where we're talking about, oh, could you cut down Wesley Matthews' minutes? You know, Bud, like two years ago, might have had him at a 15-minute cap or something. Who knows? Uh, I don't I even mean, want to talk about that bubble Miami series. I you, you met, The Javon Carter point you made about his full-court pressure, and I didn't look at the data of how often they ran this, but like, that would be sort of another option to neutralize – um, and it's a pick and roll combination. Everyone has trouble defending, but like a Jason Tatum, Marcus Smart pick and roll. Javon Carter, I, you know, if you want to use Giannis and Drew Holiday to defend that action, yes, that is yeah, that works. You, yeah, you don't bad. always want to use Giannis to do that, but also Javon Carter just sort of maybe bumping them out of that offense a little bit by giving you that full court pressure. And look, you got six fouls too. Let him use them, and yeah. you can slow down the game and maybe help your players catch your uh, breath that way. I'm curious who you think needs to. If we assume Chris Middleton doesn't play. Yep. Who is the third most important buck? I mean, so it's tough. Um, I, I I think in terms of importance to the team, I think it might be a different answer. But in terms of importance as in what version of them is going to show up, I think it's Bobby Portis. Just because, like, I just think we know what we're getting from Wes Matthews and Pat Connaughton. And they are super important. Like, again, they're both locked in closers, which I think is hilarious because – Two months ago, maybe today, if you asked a bunch of random NBA fans, like, what do you think about Pat Connaughton and Wesley Matthews closing games? They'd probably be like, that team must stink. But they're, they're quite good, and they've been really good on both ends. Wes more than Pat um, on defense, but certainly Pat more on offense. But I think Bobby Portis, can he continue to be the, a closer, a fifth guy who holds up on both ends? And how much different is this game, even this last game, if he's 8 of 14 instead of 4 for 14, right? Like, can he give you that rebounding? And, mm-hmm. and holding up defensively, he's not going to be great, but can he continue to hold up there, get you some extra possessions on offense, and score more effectively? I think that could be a big difference for the Bucs. I mean, he has not had a three-point shot of these last few games. I think if he comes out, plays really well, is knocking down some threes, that could be huge for Milwaukee. So I'll say Bobby Portis with the caveat that Wes Matthews, for the defense on Tatum and the spacing and offensive punch, which has been really nice these last couple of games, and Pat Connaughton, who's just – always been their most reliable two-way wing outside of Chris. Um, I think those guys are obviously super important as well. It's Bobby Portis. You mentioned his defense. He, You probably have two of the most underrated switch defenders in this series in Grant Williams and Bobby Portis. I think Grant mm-hmm. Williams is noticeably better 
than yes, Bobby Portis. But totally. ever since like the middle of last year or whatever, Bobby Portis has been like fine on switches, which is just not like I, I don't know if it gets talked about enough. That's my 10,000 foot view. I'd probably pick Wes as the third most important buck because you already laid it out the responsibility he has with Tatum. And I didn't yeah. really subscribe to the idea that Boston needed to get a floor general type over the offseason. And now I'm watching this series. And if you can really rough up Jason Tatum or make life difficult on him, he and Marcus Smart together, like, yes, you can run your offense that way. You, Al Horford's a good playmaker. Robert Williams III's a good stationary playmaker. Derek White's a good connective passer. The more I watch this series, and I actually am curious as your thoughts now that, you know, you've watched the series very intimately. Is that something Boston could actually benefit from? It's not, oh, they need a star point guard. They need sort of a floor general who can delineate touches, especially down the stretch of a game like we just saw where it felt like they were, this is the cliche of all sports cliches, it felt like they were protecting their lead or afraid to lose rather than like they were just going through their stuff. Yeah, I think so. And I think as excellent as smart has been at times in this series, and I think he's getting killed too much for the end of game five. There was a little bit of like, holy crap, the ball is in Marcus Marcus Smart's hands a ton offensively in the last minute of this important game where the lead is going away and and things are happening. I mean, I, I don't know if you could identify any moment where he truly made the wrong decision. I mean, the, the drive that ended up Giannis getting that I think led to the Drew three, that one was pretty bad. But like the steal that Drew made, I think he just fumbled a little bit and Drew was there before he had any chance to get the ball to Tatum. And the drive on that, that play where Drew blocked it, it's like, Somebody had to do something. Um, and, Everyone's you know, like, oh, he should know the Bucks' base defense. Why would you go towards the rim? And I'm like, who is able to process all of that in real time? Pat Connaughton, um, you talked about this a little bit on your pod. John Showman pointed it out on Twitter. Pat Connaughton blew up that ATL. Yeah. And yes, yeah. there was there was a different way to do it. But like he blew it up so much that Jason Tatum like didn't even start to come off of the Al Horford pin down. And did yeah. Jason Tatum just know that Marcus Smart was doing the wrong thing? You'd have to, I guess I wasn't watching that closely enough. That was kudos to Pat Connaughton. So I'm with you. I thought he got too much shit for what happened. I mean, he was bad. So was the rest of the Celtics team. Yeah. I mean, no one else did anything. And that, and that I think to your point though, that is the point, right? In terms of, you know, I think they could use someone. I think the Bucks could kind of use a player like this too, to be quite honest, especially with Chris out. Um, Drew and, and Giannis sometimes aren't. I think Giannis really good decision maker and passer, but all the work he does scoring, you don't want him also bringing the ball up to initiate offense for other guys. I mean, if you watch them, they they sometimes, especially like earlier in a fourth quarter, not when it's real crunch time, he'll just be like kind of off to the side some of these possessions. That's just him resting. Like he needs that with the, the energy he exerts. I think that's another kind of the reason I'd like to see Javon play a little bit is Javon Carter. Like Marcus Smart has dealt with like 15 injuries this series. And I remember, I think it was before he missed game two and they've like got him bringing up the ball still and Drew is covering him and Drew is picking him up at like three quarters court. And it's like, are you really, you're really making Marcus Smart with like a bad arm, bring up the ball against Drew full court. Like that sounds like absolute hell. And with a better arm, it didn't work out well for the, the Celtics to end game five. So I do think they could use a, another playmaker um, like that for sure, as could Milwaukee, as could a lot of teams. There aren't that many point gods out there, unfortunately. But um, I, I think that has shown, and that is another reason I like the ball pressure early um, to kind of just, again, further gum up what Boston is doing. And I'll wrap up this discussion here with how do the Celtics, if the Celtics win game six, why are they winning game six or why are they even coming back in this series? Is it something you noticed about they've done for for long stretches for games at a time 
of keeping um, Milwaukee limiting their transition opportunities? Is there something you've noticed that they've been able to do? Is there something that you look at them that they could do leading into game six, the rest of this series that you think could continue to throw the bucks off kilter? Because look, they basically controlled most of game five. And so like, we could very easily be talking about the bucks going into this winner go home game rather than the Celtics. Yeah, I think honestly what it's going to come down to and not to, you know, oversimplify or, or, or not dive in too much here, but it's something you said earlier, Giannis is going to impose as well. I just have no doubt about that. It's will the players around him make too many mistakes or miss too many opportunities? Cause I think there's going to be shots there. I think there's going to be good looks there. And also, you know, the eight, seven, how maybe less than seven uh, in, in game six, the minutes he's not on the court, how bad will those be? Um, but I think really it's like everyone around Giannis because you just trust that Giannis will come out here probably around 40 points, you know, double-digit uh, rebounds, a good number of assists if guys are making shots. I think that's what it comes down to. Like can the Celtic crowd the paint and, and hold him off? And do the other Bucks not make you pay? Do they absolutely get immolated in the non-Giannis minutes? I think those are going to be the big questions, which – it's ironic because this is, goes back to like the Eric Bledsoe days. I mean, this has kind of always been the question for the Bucks: is can everybody else do enough? The signs from guys like Pat Connaughton, Wesley Matthews have been good. But, you know, can we get – even though he shoots four for seven from deep, can we get a better than nine for 24 game from Drew Holiday? Can we get better than four for 14 from Portis? Those are going to be, I think, the questions. And I, I do think if Milwaukee gets a better scoring game from Drew, a more complete one, a more sound one, and two, three maybe of those role players have solid offensive games, I think it's going to be really hard to beat the Bucs in five serve here for, for the Celtics. Um, as good as their defense is, there's just not really a defense out there that can take away Giannis one-on-one. And then if you're not able to do that, you're either giving him too much or giving everybody else too much. So I do think if the Bucs can execute around Giannis, this series should be theirs for the taking, but a lot of work left to do against a very, very good Celtics team. How do you think this series ends? What's your what's your prediction? It's got to be Bucks and six. I mean, Brandon I was about, to create it years ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, I asked him the the follow up question was with the herd Bucks and six always. That's for the culture, is what he said. He also said, "What am I supposed to say? We're going to lose in four? I mean, what else can you say?" And I was like, "It's a good point. Uh, I don't know what else you could say, Brandon." Um, but yeah, I think Bucks and six. I said that before the series. I certainly didn't see it playing out the way it has. It's been as you we talked about before we started recording. Such an exciting up and down series. But that's very Bucksian too to get the Bucks and six result while also making you question your existence like three times on the way there. Yeah, I'm rooting for game seven just as the impartial observer because I love chaos. I will say though, and I don't know if I'm getting too caught up in the moment because I said Dallas was, and I picked them to lose in five to the Suns anyway, so I was missing the mark. But I thought (laughs) Phoenix obliterated their soul in game two. And I just thought that series was over. I'm getting like that vibe again, where it was just like, if this is the Celtics where they haven't really progressed enough from the past couple of years, they're over, they're finished. But I'm just not sure if I'm recency biases caking in here. Their responses after the game, I thought were mostly great. Um, I give players credit for uh, being able to like, after these super emotional losses or victories and have to give these even keeled answers, because my first instinct would be like, you know, what are you expecting Jason Tatum to say? Like, yeah. Is he supposed to be sad that they lost and that we're going to lose or throw Marcus Smart on the bus? But I'm like, in the heat of the moment, like maybe. Like, yeah. But even Giannis the other night where they lost game four, he was like, you know, we got to go out. We'll win game five. If we don't win game five. Then we'll have to try and win game six. I'm just like, I applaud these players for being able to keep their composure under these circumstances because I absolutely would not. I'm, I'm like having panic and anxiety attacks over trying to figure out what's happening to the series by game by game basis. 
Uh, Giannis is just Giannis is such a machine. I, I love him. I'll never be able to relate to him for the way he processes these moments, which is why he's you know a, a great player on pace to be an all time great player. After the game, they're talking about you know your eyes bleeding. They did the post game interview on the court, and he's just like, yeah, you know it was tough, but I'm good. It's like that's that's basically all he'll say ever. Um, sometimes he gets introspective. That's more before a game in the finals. That great quote was before a game, I believe, um, about you live in the past. That's your ego, etc. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it, credit to the Boston. I don't. I don't think it's going to be an easy game six. I'm not. I'm not trying to write off Boston by any means. No game, really. Maybe game one, but not really any game has been easy for the Bucks. Um, but I just think they find ways to do it, and that's what they've been doing for for a little over a year now. So I'm just going to ride with them. I did want to touch on this, even though it's been an exhausted topic. As someone who covers Giannis Antetokounmpo, what have you made of the MVP discourse, even oh. predating the actual announcement? Uh, that Nikola Jokic had won it back to back. Yeah, we all knew, right? We had known for a while, I think, with the amount of tabulated ballots that were released publicly. I know it's not definitive, but I think everyone kind of knew. I mean, it's basically become like the Woj and Shams announcing the draft picks before they're yeah. actually called. We just know who wins all these awards based on the straw polls that are out there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I was furious. Joker's a fake. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I thought I thought Nikola Jokic was The creation was of the spreadsheet weaves. Yeah, yeah, no. That's the stupidest thing. Like, you can look at the most basic of stats. Jokic clearly rocks in all of them. Like, this is not, you know, screen assists or warp, <laughs> warp per 36 or whatever. Like, it's very obvious what he does. Like, you don't need any of these things. Like, you can throw out all the schlorps, as Zach Lowe would say. It's very easy to tell that Nikola Jokic rocks. I thought the records thing was overblown. I thought any of Giannis, Embiid, Jokic were deserving. I do think Giannis should have finished ahead of Embiid. That's my hottest MVP take. I had him ahead of Embiid on my hypothetical bout, if that's any consolation. Yeah, I mean, I just thought the way that both of those teams ended the season, it was better for Giannis. Although I I think Giannis had a sliver of a chance after the Sixers and Nets wins the same week. And then they like implode versus Dallas and just had a a pretty mere end of the season from there. So, you know, I just think because of Brooks' injury and because of the run they had prior to this season, Milwaukee kind of was just like, let's just get through it. Like, let's just survive this regular season, have a good enough seed, and we'll go. Well, we know what what really matters here, right? Is the playoffs. It's unfortunate. I think regular season stuff matters, but for Milwaukee in particular, it's not their goal. And I think Lopez not being there really hurt their defense, which also hurt Giannis's DPOY case. So I kind of went through the whole year like, yeah, he's probably not going to get anything except first team All NBA, which is fine. There's a lot of great players in the league. And the Bucks are really not a all that fun story this year. Watching them every game, it was like, oh my god, they have so many stinkers. The defense isn't good. Like it's very meh. So I thought Jokic was a deserving winner. I think he's going to now suffer from the Giannis thing. I don't think he'll touch another one until he has more postseason success. I, I think you know you win and then get swept out of the playoffs twice. It's not his fault by any means. The Nuggets are uh, a hospital unit right now. Um, but I do think he's now going to suffer from that same deal of like he probably just won't win again until he can go you know win a finals or have another gutsy playoff performance, which he has done before. But I do think he'll probably suffer from that now. And someone like Embiid or Luca or maybe Giannis uh, will have a shot next year. And there's not a fur over that where it's like we just know that voter fatigue exists because how yeah. many MVPs would LeBron have if there wasn't right. voter fatigue? Right. And that's just a matter of fact. I can't stand the. I'm with you on everything you said too. I, I, I've seen people compare this. Oh, we're going to look back like we did with Westbrook in 2017 and say that he was just like given this artificial bump. 
I don't think it's going to be the case because of everything you outlined where I feel like most of the level-headed people were transparent that it could be Embiid, Jokic, Giannis. A lot of this comes down to a matter of preference. A lot of it comes down to splitting already split hairs. Uh, what I just can't stand is people saying, oh, well, you're focusing on the numbers too much. Watch the games. And then their inclination is just to cite the numbers of seeds or the number of victories that a team has. Uh, wins aren't a player stat. Like they're just, they're not a player stat. Uh and as you mentioned, like the gap in victories here was just so small between Giannis and Embiid's teams and then Jokic's Nuggets teams. I just, I don't understand the uproar. And if if you're angry that he's eliminated in the first round of the playoffs, that's another thing I don't get. Because it's like, why does it matter that Joel Embiid, he, he helped the Sixers survive without Ben Simmons, but Jokic helps the Nuggets survive without uh, Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. But because they have zero all-star appearances under their belt, it's different. I want to know how many people leading into this season would have been inclined to say that a healthy Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. would have been better than Ben Simmons, um, given the playoff series he just had last year. And I think I'm wondering if this would my solution here. And look, if people want a different panel of voters, I do think it's a joke. Some of the people that have votes, I do, I do think it's some a of thing. the ballots are. I mean, the I don't want to. I don't know his name. I don't want to call out someone too specifically. But the drumming for DPOI, Greg guy Logan, Newsday. I've seen him in person. Uh, he's exactly the type of person you would think that he is. So I have no problem <laughs> calling him out. Um, I, yeah, like it's that stuff. And it's, there are people who put a lot of effort into it and there, and I'm not even, I have so much respect for beat writers. I also have so much respect for just localized coverage in general. Um, but like, do these people, the ones that are especially traveling where you and I are doing our job from afar at this point can probably chop her in for more of these games across different markets. How many of these beat writers for specific teams have the time necessary? To, and I'm not saying pull any of their votes. I'm just saying like that could lead to inherently fun. There are people who are um, talking heads on TV that are tasked with covering every single sport yeah. under the sun. Like, do they have? So, if you have a problem with the voting process, the fact that there are incentives and and max eligibilities tied to all this, it makes me super cringy. And if I had a real vote, I wouldn't actually want the real vote because it would make me feel dirty there. Um, I am wondering though, would having postseason specific awards change this at all? Like, would it would it sort of make it make it more easier to accept the results that we're seeing in the regular season? Yeah, I think so. And it seems like they're going that way now. They just announced some more trophies for like playoff finishers. And is there a player one too now? The Larry Bird and Magic one. I don't remember if that's just for. I think it might just be for the conference champ in general. Um, but I think I've seen this idea in the last couple of days. I think they should do an all playoffs team. I think if you look, whether it's uh, March team. Madness. Yeah, they did all bubble team. They do March Madness. I think does all all teams all NCAA tournament or whatever they call it. Actually, Euro League I think does a, an all team. Right, the Olympics I think does one. Is I think the NBA playoffs is like the only major basketball tournament that does not release an all playoffs team afterward. I think you could do two of them. Honestly, first and second team. I would say no positions because I, I think that doesn't help anyone at all. Um, but I, I do think that they should do that, and there should be more recognition outside of only. Finals MVP and obviously the championship. Um, and just the last thing on Jokic, I mean, I think a fun game for anyone who thinks he's not deserving at 48 wins, three less than the Sixers and the um, the Bucks, is go down the rosters of the Sixers and the Bucks and find the worst player who would be Jokic's best teammate. And I think you're going at least two or three or more players down in both cases with Murray and, and uh, Michael Porter out for so much of the season. Yeah, and I mean, look, this and this is splitting hairs, but it's like you can even just look at the top. Like Giannis yeah. had Chris Middleton and Drew. 
Yeah. Um, and then MB did get James Harden at midseason, not the James Harden they thought well, they were going to get. They had Tyrese Maxey all year, and he had a hell of a season. Right. And so, and look, that might not be the way to look at the MVP. And if that is the case, like then there needs to be a sort of a, a set of criteria, a minutes threshold, trying to define value. I think the NBA enjoys that the ambiguity of the value valuable part of yep. this creates the debate. Um, I'm, I would love to see postseason awards, though. And let's also, I don't know if this would help, but I think it would make the discussion more salient. Like, let's carve out some kind of a gap between when the votes are due and the start of the playoffs. And let's let everything just trickle out then rather than yeah. during the postseason. It's or, so stupid the way they do it now. And it is, it is a bad, I don't want to say it's a bad look, but it does give fuel to the idiots who want to argue that Jokic was eliminated in the first round and he's the MVP when you're actually naming him the MVP after he was eliminated in the first round. Well, it's it also also what is the argument against being able to honor the player at a home playoff game? Which it certainly for the MVP, they're always going to be in the first round. We're never going to see an MVP who doesn't make the first round. That that I that if Jokic didn't make the playoffs, I would be on board saying, yeah, he can't be MVP. I think that is a fair threshold. And that I don't think that needs to be codified. Maybe it should be. I don't think it has to be though. I don't think it would ever happen. But that makes so much sense. Game one, your first, or whatever your first home playoff game is, all of the fans there can celebrate the, the yeah. award with you. That makes so much more sense than, you know, oh, the cool video of Yoko Chana Horse. Yoko Chana Horse content rules, but it should be in, it should be with the fans where the guy plays. It makes so much sense. And they're just like, no, we need to roll it out slowly during the playoffs so that we can do our stupid award show that no one watches. And I'm sorry, I'm sure a lot of people put a lot of work into the award show. Everyone knows the, the awards. It's What's not the a thing of, anymore. Didn't they get rid oh, of it? Oh, they don't. Do they not do yeah. it at all now? They, that's why the trickle. Oh, that's the why they, they just roll it out now. And oh, okay. I, I appreciated the attempt by them to try that, but it was just very clear after the first one. Like, no one even cares about this anymore because yeah. we just watched the NBA Finals and now it's we're, over. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Ty, this was great. Thank you so much for hopping on. Are you able to tell our listeners where they can find you and all the fantastic work that you do? I sure am. That's one of the things, the only things I'm, I'm uh, consistently able to do. Uh, at Ty Windish on Twitter, T-I-W-I-N-D-I-S-C-H. And then Eurostep Podcast Network, that's G-Y-R-O Step, uh, available wherever you listen to podcasts, including this fine podcast. And on YouTube, which you can also find, I believe, this fine podcast on YouTube. Uh, we just hit 1,000 subs, which is a big Ooh, deal. congrats. Can, yeah, thank you. We can monetize. So we've been telling everyone we need to secure the bag. Help us out. Uh, the it's bag a very is, tiny bag, but everyone, please yeah. go give it to them. Yeah, well, well, we're not there yet. We have to. Our AdSense account is linking. There's a lot of stuff still happening, apparently, but we're working on it. Um, but very happy to get there. Uh, and thanks everyone for the support on that. And then uh, I got little merch on Eurostep shirt. GSPNStore.com uh, has all of our merch as well. But yeah, we're covering all things Bucks all the time, and then do some more Brewers when that's over uh, on our new Milwaukee Brewers podcast. They are building a conglomerate, a budding giant over at the Eurostep Podcast Network. Follow them on Twitter at the Eurostep Podcast, spelled exactly as it sounds, unless you think it sounds different. That's G-Y-R-O Step Podcast. Ty, thank you so much. As, as I'm sure you know by now, I will be pestering you again in the near future. Can't wait, man. Thanks for having me again. <laughs>